HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am your host, Darren Bresnitz. To kick off Valentine's Day, sit down with Valerie Gordon the creative director and executive chef of Valor Confections. We chat about her lifelong dedication to giving the perfect guest. She reminisces about the early days of building her business and shares some details and upcoming events about her new headquarters clubhouse located in beautiful Glendale. Then in the second half of the show, we head deep into the archives for a live in-studio performance by Diane Birch, who is here to talk about her 2016 album, The Self-Produced New. It's a great episode and one to share it with your loved ones for this romantic holiday coming up. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. Somehow I, 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 
Valerie, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking time out of what is the busy season. We're This is going to air right before Valentine's Day, but we are in the last two weeks recording right now, and so I'm sure the heat is on or the chocolate is flowing. <laughs> uh, it, it's your Super Bowl as the Super Bowl is also upon us as well. It is. You know, there's a lot of hearts there's so many hearts <laughs> happening right now in every form imaginable in white chocolate, milk mm. chocolate, bittersweet chocolate, sugar cookies. There will be hearts on pies. There's just hearts everywhere. There's a lot of love. I mean, it sells. You know, I, you know, do I get my heart shaped pizza this year for Valentine's Day? I, you know, what, time will only tell. Um, will I'm you still get waiting. a cheese crust? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know what I think would be good if someone did French onion soup and the crouton mm. on top or the bread on top was a heart? Adorable. Yeah. You know, you, there's really no limit to the heart in Valentine's Day. There's no, no limit. No. Um, so I was reading about you and one of the things that I found really interesting is that this idea of of, of cooking and creating and giving food as a gift has been something you've done your entire life, starting at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people paint, some people do throw pottery, some people write songs, but what is it about making something sweet, something that has this confection angle to it and giving it as a gift that 
has been part of your whole life? I think what I was initially attracted to as a child when I was baking cookies and bringing them to people and mm-hmm. started doing these little gifts, it really was about the response. Mm. And I noted it to be significantly different, even from like a third grader's eyes. Like, wow, Ingrid just got so happy that I just gave her these cookies. Mm-hmm. And there was this level of anticipation and unabashed joy when you would give someone chocolate chip cookies in, at Grattan Elementary in San Francisco. <laughs> and, and I found the older I got, you know, then people would start to anticipate these gifts for me. Oh, my God, am I on your Christmas list this year? Right. <laughs> what are you making this year? That kind of thing. And Mm. it just never ends. And I think that the glorious thing about a sweet, whether it be a box of chocolate or a pie or a box of cookies or one cookie, is it really feels um, it's a treat in every way, Mm -hmm. shape and form. It's not a piece of toast, which can also be a treat. Of course, I enjoy toast. But you know what I mean? It's like it's not something you eat all day long. Right. It's, a it's moment. something, yeah. And people will say, I'm spoiling myself. I'm getting myself a slice of cake, mm-hmm. right? So it's that thing of spoiling people. And I think the other the other thing that elicits this kind of response is jewelry. When you gift mm-hmm. someone jewelry. Sure. And this was something that we really studied when we were starting Valerie Confections. Was, oh, interesting. Yeah, we, I really did a deep dive on Tiffany. Mm. And that thing of getting a blue bag yeah, and then the box mm-hmm. and what's inside and that feeling. And so when we were developing the packaging of Valerie Confections, that was like a real, that was a very serious point of study was the feeling of receiving a gift and the unwrapping of a gift and what mm. emotions come up. And I interviewed a bunch of people as we were figuring out the packaging. And it is, I don't know, it is sort of this amazing thing. And I, you know, food is like, no pun intended, it is my love language. Right. If if I care about you, if you're in my life, if mm-hmm. I want to express something to you, like I am doing that primarily with food. And whether mm. I'm shipping it to you, dropping it on your front porch, sure, preparing sure, sure. a meal, you know, so like even like my neighbors that I'm friends with, they get drop offs. If I'm testing stuff, I'm like, they'll just get a pie, they'll get a cake, yeah, they'll I mean, get cookies, and it's like that's there incredible. it is. Yeah, and they get really happy. Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned doing a deep dive on yeah. the design and the boxes and figuring out, and you've been in this business for almost two decades now, and and you are from San Francisco, which is home of one of the most famous chocolate brands. And when I grew up, I remember taking a trip there and visiting there and being like, well, chocolate doesn't get better better than this. And then I realized, no, chocolate does get much, much, I don't want to say better, but it's different. There's different levels, especially when you get into the artisanal or smaller brands. Can you take Mm -hmm. us back to what that landscape of chocolate looked like when you were getting started, how you even knew that branding, especially at a luxury level, as a comparison, had to be part of it, and what you wanted to do differently than what was already being offered. So I think you're talking about C's, which if you look at our collection, mm-hmm. 
Uh, 90% of my chocolates are an homage to C's. Well, I was talking about Giardelli because I remember oh. going to San Francisco yeah. and being okay. like, look at these individually wrapped squares. Does it get more yes. elegant? So but- I, I have to say I was much more C's. C's is iconic to me. Oh my God, and of course. And there's so many things about C's that I riff on. Like you mm. walk into Valerie Confections, you get a sample of chocolate. That is a direct line to C's. Mm. When you walk in the door at C's and there's like you, and then you anticipate going to C's just to go to the store. You're like, oh yes, the lady in the white dress is going to give me a chocolate when I walk in the door. And so immediately you're spoiled when you walk mm-hmm. into C's. It's so, already special. It's already special. So there was like growing up and I grew up in a very different era. Um, in the seventies, kids were allowed to go places by themselves. And now, now it's like, and I always joke about this. I'm like, my children would be taken from me from child services if they lived the way I lived as a grammar school oh child. My God. But there was, I'll be back. Amazing, I have yeah. no phone <laughs> when the sun sets, I'll be, I'll be home yeah, and I'll be safe. At some yeah. point, you know, I'm just going to pop on some public transportation get mm-hmm. my transfer and, you know, right on. I'll check you for dinner. I mean, um, I used to take the bus and train into Philadelphia all the time. Yeah. By myself. Right. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Like, your parents would be arrested now. That is like child <laughs> endangerment. <laughs> you let a kid under 12 do anything, it's like they are coming for you. So hot and heavy. Yeah. Um, so there were a few really important bakeries there. There was mm-hmm. one called Fantasia. There was something called Tassahara. And there was also department store shopping. That was really mm-hmm, a thing mm-hmm. then. And you had the same thing, obviously, in New York, in Chicago. You know, there are these iconic uh, department stores that always had a candy counter mm-hmm. that was really chic and super bespoke. And like, I would go shopping in Union Square, and this was these are the things that really, really, I think, formed my aesthetic and how I perceived care and luxury. Mm. And from iMagnon, which closed forever ago, to Macy's, to mm-hmm. Neiman Marcus, like something that I did as a teenager, and this is such a weird thing in reflection, <laughs> like my best friend and I would go to the rotunda at Neiman Marcus and have afternoon tea. That's mm. a pretty weird thing. And we weren't like rich kids either. We were right. not rich kids. Like we went to public school, and but we were both like, yes, afternoon tea and the carts. Mm. And it was mm-hmm. such a thing. And seeing the pedophores and the precious scones and the level of service and the half- lemon with mesh coating it's like all of these mm-hmm. things really informed our brand and i do think that there are certain um you know food is so wrapped up in memory right and it's yes. so wrapped up in emotional recall and these are the moments that made me feel the most joyous the most comfortable and i would say the most transported when i would sit down at the rotunda with my best friend and tea service would happen. It was just like there's nothing wrong in the world. Mm. Just this a little is bit of the happiest place. Completely, completely. And all the intent behind what was being served and how it's designed and things mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, it's one thing 
in many ways to think about starting a business. It's quite another to get it off the ground. Mm. Did you have a mentor? Did you have any guide? And again, you know, this is 18, 19, 20 years ago. And starting a business then is different than it is now. I feel there are so many ways it's easier to get the word out and media is different, social media and, you know, you build a website and a brand and things like that. How did you get started? And then how did you know early on that you also needed to differentiate your offerings from just chocolate and include other types of, of pies and confections and things like that? So the first part of the question, did I have a mentor when we got started and how this, how did this all play out? Um, We started the company. This is funny. I started recipe testing February 2004. Mm. And I was managing a restaurant called Le Deux Cafe for four or five years before Valerie Confection started. And this is with somebody who's quite the icon in the fashion world now, Mm -hmm. Michelle Lamy, who Mm -hmm. is Rick Owen's wife and is like, so famous. It's nuts. (laughs) Like, they're all, it's like, wow, that's so weird. Like, uh, it's just so funny. So I, I started managing that restaurant the second day I was in Los Angeles. Wow. I was 27 years old, um, and I had a staff of 50, and I drop into L.A., and I'm given the keys to this restaurant where we host things like Madonna's party and you know Lenny Kravitz's party, and I'm just like truly faking it until I made it. <laughs> I was like, I have no fucking clue how to do any (laughs) of this stuff. And, oh, I have to create a bistro in the parking lot? Okay. Like, I want to do that. So it it definitely – and she – I think Michelle's mind is one of the most creative minds. Um, She she really – and so I would say my years spent with her were very informative, and she was so good in having this idea of figure it out. Mm. And also like she wouldn't over guide you and either you knew or you didn't know. And if you didn't know, then she didn't have a whole lot of time for you. No, of And course. if you did know, then she would keep you around and keep you in the fold. Hmm. And so um, I learned so much about creating a moment mm. in that fold about creating mm-hmm. something a little mm-hmm. bit different and yes. also going with what you like. Don't do what everybody else is doing. And this is also like, I'm a half breed. I'm half Chinese, half Jewish. And mm-hmm. when I was growing up, we were like, there weren't a lot of us. So I never really fit in. My sisters sure. and I were all sort of this anomaly. So no, of course, of course. I, th- I think like expectations as far as this is what you have to do never really applied to us. Um, so there was this thing about being a, a free thinker and also creating my own path that mm-hmm. was from conception, really. So, But I would say Michelle had a big influence on how I went about um, orchestrating it. And I also had met a lot of people working at Lido Cafe. Um, sure. One of the most, I think, one of the biggest influences on the look and feeling of the packaging was Paul Fortune, who is mm. the interior designer who did Lado Cafe and also the Sunset Tower. He does all of Mark Jacobs' residences. Mm-hmm, Sadly, mm-hmm. he passed away a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, but he and I were very good friends. Um, and after the cafe closed, um, 
I got this idea to start a chocolate company. And where it came Mm -hmm. from really was, I really was thinking about what have I always loved? What has always Mm. made me happy? And it was like, it always went back to dessert. And people had said to me for years, you've really got to start your own company. And I thought, uh, I don't know if I sure. really want that. I don't know if I want that. <laughs> I don't think you, you actually ever clock out when you start your own company. I don't, I don't know if I want all that. Like I, and I, that was absolutely correct. Um, but clearly there have been benefits to this. Um, so I, you know, I, after the cafe closed, I just thought, what have I always loved? Yeah. And so I got this idea um, about four weeks after it closed. It's toffee. We're starting with toffee. Mm. And I had sort of tracked luxury chocolates and specialty foods and things like that. You know, it's gone now, but like Neiman Marcus here used to have this wonderful candy counter where you could walk in and get pot de fouille from Paris and all these other things. And I just, again, I just always loved uh, like the acquisition of these gorgeous things and how that made me feel. So, and I noticed in luxury chocolate that no one was doing toffee and everyone was doing truffles and companies that were really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hitting, hitting some high points at that time were things like Vosges, Mary Bell, Michael Ricuti. There were a lot of different companies that were coming up and getting press. And I thought no one's doing toffee. And this is like the unsung hero of the confection world. And you get it in those you know, broken shards like you do at C's or Almond yeah. Roca or yep. Little John's, but no one was doing it in a refined way. And I just thought, what if we take toffee and apply some of these methodologies that are happening with truffles that are getting more and more popular mm-hmm. and corner this market and we package it in a way that looks like somewhere between Prada and Chanel. Love it. And so, and where Paul was really amazing is I I had sort of, I always go to a variety of people for input and feedback. Like I really like to hear opinions about stuff. Um, And I know what I, I know what I like, but I also, you know, I like input and I like the collective. I like working with a group. So um, Paul was amazing in saying, you know, this, this box is really chic, babe, or, mm, you know, this flavor is really good or, you know, know, like I would show him something and be like, Ooh, that's really good. (laughs) You need that. You need, you need someone who's just being able to be like, I like it or I hate it and trust them. Trust them in that opinion. Trust them in that opinion. So, and then I had all these taste testers that ranged in age from, I want to say 12 to 60. Mm. Um, there's this 12 year old girl who was like really a cho- like a, a chocolate fan and could just devour boxes of chocolates. And I was like, Laura, I really want, I want your tasting notes when I'm doing these, when I'm testing these recipes. And she, it's amazing. Cause she's, she and her mom are both, you know, lifelong customers and it's pretty amazing. Sure. Um, so that's how that all started. Um, and really the idea was to create something that was perennial. And Mm -hmm. one thing I've always done is stay away from trends. Anything that feels like a hot moment, I'm like, I've, I run from it. 
I run from it. And what is pretty great and something we're very proud of is our packaging has changed very little in 19 years. I mean, our that's products, incredible. Like our core products, those toffees we started with are still made the exact same way, just in larger batches and packaged the exact same way. And that, that I have to say, feels pretty good. And there have been tons of products that have come and gone over the years. Like some things you make and you're just like, yeah, that's nuts. That takes five hours and, <laughs> and that's really stupid. And the people tell you <laughs> they don't want it too. They go, ah, no, yeah. thanks. Thank yeah, you, but no. Totally. And but if, you, if you're looking at your collection and there are certain items that, oh God, we only sold, sold 10 boxes of that new yeah. product. That's not, that's not living long then, people. That's gone. Um, yeah. And then you asked about how we expanded out beyond chocolate. Um, That really happened uh, leading up to the recession, which was an interesting time. So the 2008, 2009 recession. Yes. And that's when things really went in a different direction. So in 07 is when we launched the Petaphors. And the pedophores were a true homage to the pedophores that I saw at Fantasia in San Francisco, but also to like trippy stuff, like the Swiss colony, you know, the Swiss colony catalogs mm-hmm. that come out every year. And I would yeah. see these commercials and be like, I want that. <laughs> like, I want, I want those little, those little cake squares that that little mouse is hustling. That's what I want. And so I don't know. It was something I always thought about. And I was like, you know, what if we do some really great pedophores? This is sort of like the go between between chocolate and cake. You know, it's sort of halfway in between. And at that time, also, we didn't really have a we didn't have a brick and mortar. And so it was all about shipping product to people. So pedophores, we figured out how to ship them. And then we had to design the box and the whole thing. And then it, from pedophores, it went into cakes, but where it really sort of blew out and doing all the pastries, savory stuff, jams, cookies was during the recession. Mm. And that's because um, like holiday, so holiday 2008, we mm-hmm. had like, that was the year that we really should have like blown up major um, we had two pages in the William Sonoma catalog. We mm. had a cover on the Dean and DeLuca catalog. Okay. We were in the Bergdorf Goodman catalog. We had a little, we had a huge stand at Takasha Maya on Fifth wow. Avenue. All the like, heavy hitters. We had all the heavy hitters. We were like positioned to go and it all crashed, right? So then it was like, Oh shit! <laughs> no one's no one's buying hundred dollar boxes of chocolate. Mm-mm. This blows. So it was like, well, you know, what are people buying? And if this whole thing of us shipping product to people isn't really working very well, then let's look local. And so we set up. We established Valerie at the market. Mm-hmm. And we set up all these booths at the farmers markets and sourced fruits and herbs and things like that from the farmers markets. So we just really changed the uh, the scope of what we made. 
and who we've sold to. Because you're going to get a muffin for $4, but you might not right. get a big box of chocolate when, you know, your, your stock portfolio crashes. You know, you still need a muffin. You still need breakfast. You still, you still, still want a that treat. Yeah. You still need a treat. But maybe it's going to come in a different form. And so that was actually really, I thought that was a really interesting time. And that time actually really prepared us um, for the pandemic of, Hmm. Hey, you know, the course is shifting, get in front of this and what, you you know, and and instead of looking at what you can't do, look at what you can do. And Hmm. so we were able to like, it was just, it was almost like reflex when the pandemic hit, how we pivoted things. Um, so, but that's how we started doing all the pastries, et cetera. And then that led to, me writing a cookbook and opening brick and mortars because, you know, I think people offering chocolate, but also pastries and also all these other things, definitely. I think it appeals more to the clientele and then it's an everyday thing. It's not just, you know, you don't eat a box of chocolates every day. Most people don't. No, no. Um, (laughs) Let's take a quick musical break and then I want to come back. I want to talk about the new space that you just opened in Glendale and some of the music that you play when you're in the kitchen. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. I got a friend with a lot of ambition He don't got all the right education But he don't need anybody's permission It's always a right on Saturday night He's in love with a girl whose reputation Is showing up alone without a boyfriend And every time they miss their connection Cause he don't know Ready to go? No, no. Is it ever really the right time to fall in love? And so she. Oh, 
Back to Snacky Tunes. We were here with Valerie Gordon, executive chef and creative director at Valerie Confections. And you're talking about the big pivotal switch during the section of 2008, 2009, and how you became an LA company and, and set you up for future success down the road. But in general, and I'm not sure if it was this year or a few years later, when did you feel that you had crossed over into an established company and felt secure that it wasn't just going to go away overnight. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I and if that answer is know. never, then I understand that as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still feel I don't know. I was at an event last night and people were like, Oh my God, you're Valerie from Valerie confections. And it's like, I'm still shocked. People know about us. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I think I, I'm pretty humble as far as that has to go. I never take any, I don't take any customers for granted. I don't take, you know, and I think this is the entrepreneur thing where when you start a company out of your apartment by rubbing four dimes together, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you never completely release that feeling. I think there's always that push. There's always that drive for like, keep going. What's next? You know, there's never a resting on the laurels. You know what I mean? Or resting on your laurels. I never feel that way. Of course. It's always like, let's, let's, it's always a constantly moving vehicle. Yeah, I mean, that's how you keep innovating. That's how you keep growing. And probably also speaks to why you recently opened up this new, we'll call it a clubhouse or headquarters. Yeah, or, oh, I love clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The Valerie Confections Clubhouse in Glendale. And now mm-hmm. you already had the restaurant, which had a bit of a commissary back area as well, but nothing compared to what you've just opened. Can you talk a little bit about the new space, the story behind wanting to open it, and how you got to to finally turning on the lights and opening the doors? Yeah, so I would say in year getting getting through the deep part of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I think it was very difficult for all food business owners and really everybody. But there are certain industries that I think you know we never got to do that thing where we just sheltered in place. We still had Mm. to go to work. And luckily with our business, we were able to go to work, but it was hard. It was a very hard time to take care of the staff, take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that whole process of 2020 
2020, 2021 was intense. It was tiring. It was hard. Um, and by the end of 2021, uh, my husband and I really felt like we want to, we want to do this differently. We want to make some big changes in this company and we want to. And I think also after doing this company for 18 years, I discovered that there are elements of the business that I wanted to explore more fully mm-hmm, that I mm-hmm. hadn't had an opportunity to do. I realized that there were certain things that were really stimulating me outside of the company and trying to hmm. figure out how do I bring these things into the company? Um, so we we sort of you know analyze what do we really what do we want to be doing at this stage in our lives and at this stage in the company and what kind of company do we want to own and mm. what kind of an environment do we want for our staff and for our customers? And I think one of the big things that came out of the pandemic is how does the food industry treat itself and not just how our employers treating employees. You know, there was a lot of talk about what people are paid, right. lifestyles, long hours, people quitting, environment. And and we were looking at that, but also at our own lives. Like, how is how is our work environment right now? Do we feel stimulated every day or do we feel like, good God, I don't want to sit in the back of this kitchen one more day and change this, you know? Because <laughs> right, right. um, we had been in the same space for a long time for a commissary. And it there was a, a stress element in that space for sure. So we we were looking for a different situation and there were certain... Uh, logistical things we really needed. We wanted parking for our staff, which we didn't have in the previous <laughs> sure. one. Sure. Like, we're, you, know, you, you roll the work and it's like, fuck. And then you're like trolling yeah. for parking. That's a yeah, horrible yeah, yeah. way to get to work. And it's it was a terrible like, way to okay, start your day. It's an awful way to start your day. Yeah. And that really was big in our hunt for a new place was we have to have parking for our staff. So that was big. Um, by the way, we that is all, the most yeah. LA Huge. thing. It's it's so yeah. funny. You want to talk about really being an LA yeah. company? The fact that parking is part of what you need to to yep. you know grow and be better. Completely. It was just like I would watch employees show up to work every oh day, God. stressed, walking in the door. Like it took me fifteen minutes to find parking. That's awful. That's hideous, right? Yeah, yeah, hideous. Yeah. Of course, of course. So that so that was really big in finding this new place, but also we needed more space. We needed mm-hmm. better walking space. And I really wanted nice communal areas. Mm. So um, we actually found this space on Craigslist, which is nuts. We had three brokers looking for us, and Stan found this place on Craigslist. And it was a catering company. Mm. And... It's pretty great. It's 5,000 square feet, two buildings with a garden in between. Heaven. Wow. Right? And I was like, right on. So when we first looked at this place, it was, I want to say it was last June. So this all Mm -hmm. happened really quickly. Yeah. Um, And it was in very poor condition. (laughs) It had been a catering company that was sort of abandoned. There was just like crap everywhere. It was like, it was kind of like. God, it felt like 
hoarder, like a hoarder's reality Mm. TV show, but like dirty and kind of abandoned. Also, it was wild. But structurally, it was like, this place actually has everything we need. There were three hoods, two walk-ins, the parking lot, permitted, all of it. And so it was like, okay, we need to do like a really big facelift and then go. So that's what we did. And the timing worked out really well. And this space really affords us to do a lot of things we'd always wanted to do and couldn't. Um, There is a a chocolate room. There's two very large baking kitchens. Mm. Um, There's a retail space. And from the retail space, you can see the chocolate production room, which is really Mm -hmm. fun. Because there's this really, you know, with dessert, with a lot of food, there's a real voyeuristic thing. Folks want to, folks want to watch so they can watch. Um, I love teaching classes mm-hmm. and this is something I travel a lot to do. Like I'll get booked at this place or that place to teach a class. And I'm like, wow, we can teach classes here. And hosting events is something else I really like to do. So this is something we would do. We started doing in our home more and more and just sort of putting interesting groups of people together that, and like different walks of life a little bit, like fashion people and design people with food people and educators and like just actors and, you know, a fun mix of people and doing these. Yeah. And doing these meals and having friends come and stuff like that. And it was like, well, what if we really structure that and do that here? Mm -hmm. And so we've already started doing that, which is amazing. We had, so we had we've had two events in the last week and a half actually. Wow. We had yeah, we had an event with the art of tea and mm. let us grow and small hold the chic mushroom company and perfect white tea, which is this really cool sweatshirt company, Very like cool. sweat clothes fashion company. Yeah. And it's like and it all worked so well. Um and then last weekend we hosted our first book signing Hmm. and it was a really fun event so elisa j sokolo who's a dear friend she just wrote this great cookbook she's great um, she's on snackatoons years ago yeah i love her so she was our very first book signing and so like for her event she's doing the signing parents and kids are here then Mm. i did a pie lesson with everybody they ate fresh fruits and snacks two hours, Mm. glorious day, and on they go. So we're planning all these different events here. And really the point is community and bringing people together Mm -hmm. and having this shared experience. And we just feel very, we feel very lucky now to have found this space that we got it open so quickly and that people are excited about it is pretty fun. It's pretty fun. I mean, that's so amazing. it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Now, obviously, and, spot like that has a big vibe. And I know that music is a big part of mm. your spaces, both in the kitchen and when you're doing creative work, but also when people walk in. Talk me through some of the soundtracks when you're making chocolate, coming up with new products, or just people are coming for an event or a dinner. So, Different vibes for different places, for sure. Mm -hmm. At our Echo Mm -hmm. Park location, which is sort of its own thing and really very community-based, 
Thank you. Um, we have a lot of musicians who work there. I mean, you're and in the heart of I mean, like a lot. You're in the dead like, center of it. Taking a lot of coffee meetings there. How about that? Let's just yeah. leave it there. Yeah. Like a lot. So we really let, you know, the staff, I, I give certain metrics where I'm like, you know, it can't be profane and it can't sound angry. Mm. Like it can't be too loud, too urgent or too angry. And other than that, folks kind of jive with it. I find music that feels familiar and makes you want to linger is the music that should happen at Valerie Echo Park. Mm -hmm. So, and it really depends from day to day. It could be, I'm a huge Brian Ferry fan. Sure. And I think that Brian Ferry is always appropriate. (laughs) Anytime. There's there's no... There is no wrong with Brian Ferry in my eyes. Um, uh, I'm also, you know, I like the Brit boys. I love Harry Styles. Mm. I love, like, there's just every generation of Brit boys I'm pretty much down with. Um, So that's sort of the Echo Park thing. Here, um, if we've got an event going on, so say like Mm -hmm. the tea event we did, that's more ambient music because really it's about conversation. Yes, of course. So it's more, you know, sort of jazz, cool, cool. Like, you know, you could, you could riff on some like massive attack kind of stuff. And again, so there might be a slightly familiar beat to it, but it's not distracting. Right. Um, So that's sort of event music when we really want people to be mingling and having conversations in the kitchen. um, I like a little energy in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. If you have music that is too, mm-hmm. you know, low yeah. and slow, I think that the energy of the room really starts to dip. Um, so uh, I I love things like, you know, Rihanna, Beyonce, mm-hmm. like sort of R&B pop, I think is really fun in the kitchen. Um, also, like, yeah, a lot of R&B pop is really kind of the deal for sure in the kitchen is my favorite. And it gets like, you kind of like, you get going, you know what I mean? You get going and, and you feel good and you feel upbeat, you know, things like that are sort of too emo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. People get all, you know, it's in their feelings. It's too much in your feelings. But then in the boutique, it's really, it's a mix up of salon style music. Mm. So, you know, it's kind of all over the place and Mm. it's all over the place. And I think that's great. And we also, you know, I really like to let, you know, whomever is working in that room needs to have input about what they want to listen to. to. For sure. For sure. And so, you know, my, again, my metrics are, no, no angry, you know, I don't want to hear about genitals, um, nothing that, you know, potentially could be offensive to a coworker you can't, you can't put on, right? Yeah, um, no, no. Like, I listen, mean, I worked at a coffee yeah. shop. It was very, um, well, it was a different time. It was a different time when it was Boston. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know how many of the same rules apply, but there definitely was a, a, always a discussion, of the music and its importance yes. and the vibe setting. Yes. Um, oh, and like one of the, like someone here really loves like seventies rock, which sure. is super fun. That's super fun. Kitchen music for sure. Yeah. 
So with Valentine's Day around the corner and speaking to someone who's been a lifelong gift giver, I would feel remiss not to get your advice on the perfect type of gift for the holiday season. And let's just make it in the world of something edible. What's your advice? What's Is there too much? Is there like, okay, you've gone over the top. Is there just the right amount? What type of thinking needs to go into giving that special someone or just anyone in their life for uh, something special for Valentine's Day? So I think the big thing is to really listen to what that person likes. Mm-hmm. So I would pay attention, you know, if, if this is a new relationship or a well-established relationship, what is that person like? Right. So you're really like sort of transporting into their minds and their taste. Um, this year, we actually have a floral pop-up happening in Glendale on the 13th and 14th from Heirloom LA. They've got a new Ooh. floral. Yeah. Super fun. So we're like, Hey man, one stop shop, get your flowers and your chocolate. Or your mm-hmm. cake, you know. Um, I I like to do two things generally. Mm. Um, so say it's like, so say it's someone who loves breakfast. Mm-hmm. I might do two jars of jam mm-hmm. and six scones. I think that's a lovely yeah. Valentine's. I like that. Gift. I like that. Like lovely. If it's someone who really, really loves chocolate, I'm going big. I'm going for that big box with a big bow because you will never get that for yourself. Never. Ever. Right? Ever. But that is a lovely thing to share with someone. I also think it's great to do like a bottle of champagne and uh, chocolates or a bottle of wine, like red wine, that kind of thing is really great too. So we also have candles by La Photo Low here, Darling Wendy Polish's company. Mm. We've got some lovely ceramics. So it really is, I think it's about listening to the person and what the recipient has expressed that they really enjoy rather than here's what I want to get you. Gift me the way I want to be gifted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. For well, sure. Valerie, I cannot thank you enough. If people want to check out events of the space or order stuff from you or just follow along with Valerie Confections Adventures, where can they go? So many places. You can follow me at Valerie Confections on Instagram and you can go to Valerie Echo Park in the heart of Echo Park. It's mm-hmm. really cheers. It's all, where all the cool kids go. Yes, uh, We're in Glendale, of course, at, and this is the main Valerie Confections. Our website is ValerieConfections.com. And you can also sign up for my newsletter that Mm. just launched last month. It's called High Gang. And that's on Substack, Valerie Gordon on Substack. Sign up. You Mm. get fun. Like we're doing like, you know, special discounts from different brands, lots of recipes, all that kind of good stuff. For the Valentine's Day episode is coming out on the 10th. We're releasing Mm. it. And I'm sharing, because my husband and I do the same thing every Valentine's Day. We eat pizza and drink champagne. There you go. That's our jam. Is it heart-shaped? Is that pizza heart-shaped? It's not. It's not. But yours should be. And cheese stuffed. A cheese stuffed crust. (laughs) Um, (laughs) See, I listened. You got to know. Someone needs to get that for you, hon. 
You deserve yeah. that. No, maybe I'll send you I'm gonna, one. I'm, maybe I'm gonna. I, I think I'm gonna do a, a rack of a, a rack of ribs of lamb ribs. Ooh. Maybe Ooh. I'll make some. Maybe make some flatbreads that are heart shaped, or I'll try it. This is cute. Yeah. Ribs are intimate. I know it's and it's, it's, it's something that I know that my my wife likes and my family likes. So I, you know. I, um, and, and by maybe and, and by maybe doing it, I've already bought them. So you know, it is. Happening. I love this. And do you sauce it? Do you sauce those ribs? Yeah, it's um. Nice. Oh, I can. It's Andy Baragani's recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got nice a nice yogurt sauce and some fresh, fresh herbs and whatnot. That's a cute Valentine's Day dinner. Yeah, and you can actually shape them like a heart when you uh, cut them. Get over it. That's I know. so good. Well, thank you. That's perfect. Well, thanks. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> This is going to air. Now I'm like ribs. Yes, man. Yes. Uh, since this is going to air two days before uh, Valentine's Day, anyone is open to steal any of these ideas that we've mm. talked about. Um, but Valerie, I can't thank you enough. Karen, thank you for setting this up. Deeply appreciate it. And we have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, weighing a combined total of 666 pounds, I give you Hungry Ass You! Hold it! 
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. Diane, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Yes, you too. Uh, You were the child of a nomadic preacher in Zimbabwe. (laughs) How did that affect your musical inclinations and where do you pull influence from those experiences? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that I was, I had to move around so much as a small child. And so I was kind of always like, having to adapt to a lot of different things, saying goodbye a lot of times to people. So I sort of became a little bit of a recluse in my own mind. And my parents were also a lot older. And um, this was also in South Africa. So it was like, you know, there's just like a lot of there's a lot backwards. Of <laughs> there's a lot of backwards. Lot <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was it really influenced my music, I guess, just because I, I started appreciating music so much. My parents were big classical fans and there was a lot of music in church growing up. So, um, I was very influenced by like church hymns and classical music. Um, and I was very sheltered also. So it made me a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start playing the piano? I was seven when I started playing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was just sort of not that interested. I mean, my mom was like, Oh, we're going to a piano lesson today. I was like, okay. And then it was just kind of like one of those things where I just, it, it just came naturally, and I, I just loved it so much. And uh, at that time, or it was at that time, or no, or how much later in life did you start to realize that music is what you wanted to do full time? Well, I always knew that music was what I wanted to do full time, which is why I always used the excuse: I don't need a college degree. I don't need to finish high school. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to play music. Um, I don't need to do homework. I don't need to do any of this stuff. No. I got the piano. Yeah. Like I already know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I always knew I was going to do music. I didn't know. I had no idea I was going to become a singer. I thought I just had like the worst voice, but I was, I was really, I prided myself on the fact that I was a pianist and I'm like, I'm a pianist. I want people to take me seriously as a pianist. And then people were like, why don't you just, don't you sing? And I was like, no, no. And then they're like, oh, never mind." And I was like, (laughs) nobody wants me if I don't sing. So then I started trying to sing and yeah, I'm still trying to sing. <laughs> which which uh, pianists or classical composers were your people growing up? Um, well, like Glenn Gould and um, Leonard Bernstein. I mean, just like all the classical, you know, pianists. And then and then when I started to get more, and I mean, of course, like Debussy and Chopin and you know Satie and and those composers, I was very influenced by as well. And I. Um, yeah, and I love like f- old film scores and like you know that kind of feel, and and so um, a lot of contemporary composers as well. And so I was just yeah, I wanted to just kind of 
be like a film scorer or just like compose like weird contemporary classical piano pieces. And then I'm like, that's kind mm-hmm. of weird. Maybe that's really niche. <laughs> Maybe that's kind of niche. Very <laughs> niche. <laughs> yeah. as, as you evolved uh, into this, did playing in piano lobby in a hotel lobbies piano help you get over the, I'm not a singer to the singer that you are now? Well, it wasn't really that. Um, but although it did really kind of make me not give as much of a, Am I allowed to say? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is yeah, this yeah. a PG show here? Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it kind of made me, like, not care so much. Um, and, yeah, give as much of a shit. But it definitely made me more aware of, like, music and what was going on and pop music. I started paying more attention. and um, But then singing, it was more just my friend one day was like, oh, I'm going to this singing class, and it's really great. We, like, talk about our feelings and hold hands, and then we meditate, and he has a piano, and he should come over and play, like, background music. And I was like, okay. And then I went there, and I ended up writing a song for this class just as, like, a fun exercise and then they were like oh this is really good and then i just started doing it what songs were introduced to you from the pop world when you started playing in the in the hotels or how far away from you from like what was going on contemporary music well when i first started doing it i mean i've sort of always lived in my own world of like reality like i pay attention to certain things and not others um but when i started playing in hotels and restaurants um I was like, okay, I have to learn the standards. So I have to learn like all the classic, you know, Cole Porter, Gershwin, whatever. And then, um, and then I started playing that and I was like, okay, this is really cool. But like, I want to play some other songs and I love Radiohead and I love, you know, all these other pop, you know, anything that I was listening to at the time. And I was like, oh, I could just play any of these on the piano and just sort of make it sound. I just lounged everything out basically. <laughs> and I was like, everything works. You can lounge anything out. Um, you can lounge out Chopin if you want or Beethoven. Um, so Ooh, a little loungy <laughs> Chopin. What, what is it? little loungy Chopin. Yeah, exactly. You can pretty much, yeah, put a grace note on anything. <laughs> can we hear a song? Yes, please. <laughs> Quickly before I start saying too much stupid shit. What are you going to play for us first? Um, I'll play a song called um, Kings of Queens. It's actually inspired by the Mets, um, which I have no interest in really, but uh, my boyfriend does. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about it very passionately. And um, I was like, wow, this is so like poetic and beautiful and you know, I turned it into a song, so yeah, I'll go ahead and play that. Kings of Queens.
You left America in your nomadic travels to go to Berlin. What was the decision behind that, and what did you find there for musical inspiration? Um, well, I was just sort of—I'd sort of just fallen out of love with New York. I'd been here for quite a few years. I was sick of my rent price. I was just—I had a dynamic with it that was like I needed to just shift it up. So the opportunity came to go there and just um, live for like ten months to a year, and so there was just like this apartment that we knew through a friend. And so we ended up just being like, yeah, let's go. Um, and it was great. It just, it sort of reinvigorated my idea of music and just, um, there's all this, there's all these great studios and there's like this amazing German gear and everything, <laughs> everything works really well. Efficient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just a, it's a really, it's a really beautiful city. I mean, we had a really nice apartment. I just stayed inside all the day, all, all day long and just wrote songs and, just the feeling there it was it has a real creative community and and um it just kind of took me out of like the pressure and everything of new york and sort of brought me back to like this really quiet place where i um yeah i sort of just figured out what i wanted to do next most people know berlin for its late night techno and and dance music and 72 hour clubs what is the more piano focused um 
singer songwriter scene like there and how is that I mean, I don't hang out. I was at the Bergheim like every night, <laughs> like jamming on the dance floor. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I I was pretty reclusive. I didn't really check out like what was going on and like that's. I don't even know what's going on in any singer songwriter scene anywhere really. Um, so yeah, I I I didn't listen to a ton of music um, or go see a ton of music. There's a lot of things that the city had to offer that I didn't really make the most use of but for me it was more just about being there being in that space and that environment um i met great musicians um yeah i sort of tailor made the whole experience to what i needed at that point in my life so let's talk about the new album new um and how it came together and um you mentioned that it was a, a reclaiming of creative control Yes. Um, how did that happen, and and, ha- and why did that happen, and how did the new album come together? Um, yeah, well, I, I was on a label for, you know, seven, eight years, and sure. um, I had, there was a lot of creative <laughs> battles that were fought, and um, when I left them um, a couple years ago, it was kind of, I started just learning Ableton, and I was like, I'm going to do everything myself, no one's coming near anything I ever do ever again, <laughs> and um, back off, back I off everything, I, I, I'm like, I got this, I'll do everything, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and I'm also a control freak, so it was like a great way for me to realize that actually that's not always the best thing, but um yeah, no, I just started writing all these songs. I had like all these things in my Ableton that I was like, what am I going to do with this stuff? And so it slowly started coming together. And then when we went to Berlin, um, my boyfriend was just like, you know, oh, there's all these studios here. And I know this person who can introduce you to that person. And there's musicians. And why don't we just like record a bunch of the songs? And I was like, I don't know, like, you know, money, da, 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 da. And then he was just like, let's just do it. And then just self-release it and, you know, start a label. And I don't know. He's like, let's just do this. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. And so it was just kind of those things, like, it was so simple. I just made this decision, like, yeah, you're going to do this. You're going to record it, and you're going to put it up on Bandcamp, and you're not going to make a big deal about it, and you're just going to sell it to your fans. And um, and so, so awesome. Yeah, and so it was just incredible. I mean, I came from the mastering <laughs> studio, and um, within, like, an hour, they were uploaded onto Bandcamp, and it was released, and people were buying it, and, like, the money was going into my PayPal account, and I'm like, this has never happened in, like, my entire career. God I've never seen a dime. Internet, right? I know, and it was just, like, it's incredible because artists are so powerful, and we have such tools now, you know, with being able to you know, have this direct line of, of contact to our fan base and have the support. There is like, there's all these things that we can do and we don't actually need, you know, this whole machine necessarily around us that in the way that maybe in the past it was much more enticing. So it definitely made me feel powerful and, and just like, yeah, I can do, I can do what I want. And, um, yeah, when you put on the business hat, which is hard to do sometimes. Right. Um, you realize you have a lot of power. What are some of the things that you still feel that you need to learn as now having your own label or things that are still not totally there that you had from the support of being on a label before? Well, obviously, like the money, <laughs> the money thing is nice. But um, as I've come to realize, like, you know, more money, more problems, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I've and, heard that before. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's this thing. I coined it myself. Yeah. Um, no, it, that once you have a lot of people in the mix and you have all these other opinions and it's, it's very difficult to like retain your artistic vision. And sometimes your vision just shifts and it changes and you need to be surrounding yourself with people that you really trust and that are on the same page as you. Um, 
but yeah, financially, you know, that's one of the harder things. But at the same time, I've, I have so many like friends. I have such a community. There's such a like heavy, you know, deep artistic community of people that are very generous with their time, with their creativity. And like, I, I pull in favors. I have so many people that are just like, we want to help you. We want to do this for you. And when you don't have that big label behind you, actually people feel more compelled to do stuff for you because they're like, oh, you're, you know, you're doing something. We believe in this. We're passionate about it. And we, you know, we're doing that. We believe in it and we want to support this for the right reasons, not just because we think we're going to make a buck. And um, it just brings it back to like the integrity of the intention of what you're doing again. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been really it's been really good too. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's get let's get into the mix uh, with another song. How about that? Sure. Um, this next song is "Stand Under My Love." I guess I'll play that one. Sure. Okay, it feels like maybe a fitting song for these insane times we're living in right now. <laughs> um, all right. Somebody on the left, somebody on the right Somebody in the dark, somebody in the light They're harder than stone, make you feel so all alone The drugs don't work, there's too much hurt Gotta find another road, gotta bear the heavy load Somehow, big sky come crashing down There has to be a place for us in this world With a little shelter from up above Little lies at every turn I want to be the face you trust in this world When you need a little shelter Stand under my love
nothing left to say I'll cover you, I'll cover you, babe Together we'll last for another day Big sky come crashing down There has to be a place for us in this world With the little shelter talk about the real reason why you're here cream of the crib <laughs> oh god oh yes peasant dishes made with royal ingredients <laughs> your food instagram profile oh yes which i haven't updated in a minute well here's the we're, here's we're actually, a good reason this is to. actually an intervention from your team to bring you back into the food world yeah it's a beautiful site oh thanks did you make all the food yourself yeah duh uh, what uh, what was the inspiration behind it, and how did you, how did it evolve? <laughs> well, um, well, first of all, I love food. I love to eat. I love good ingredients. Um, I love high quality ingredients. Um, I'm not like I don't know how to cook really at all, um, but I just like to put certain things together. Um, I used to live across the street from uh, Marlowe and Sons in Williamsburg, um, and. Also from their place, Marlowe and Daughters, which has like really beautiful produce and stuff. And so I was always in there and like they had all these great dishes. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to do eggs. And that's an interesting concoction. And oh, yeah, I should try that. And then I ended up just sort of trying things out. And then I'm like, that's so pretty. I should photograph it. And then I'm like, where do I put this? It's like I can't put it on my Instagram because that's lame. And I'm like, I'm just going to start a food Instagram and nobody's even going to pay attention. But it's going to look pretty when I scroll through and I want to remember my recipes. It's really pretty. You have a great roasted <laughs> it's chicken. It's really pretty. It's, it's beautifully shot. Thank you. Is that also shot by yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, I have an art director and we've, you know, discussed it at length. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's some iPhone simple side. The, the plate sort of at a slight angle and... Yeah. Nice natural light. <laughs> uh, so you have a show coming up this Wednesday at Babies. It's actually Tuesday. Tuesday at Babies. Yeah. Uh, who are you playing with? Um, I'm playing. I have a really great band. Um, I'm. It's like a full-on band. I have a, a little string section. I have a Stuart Matthewman, the sax player um, of the Sade band. He's playing with me. Um, Aaliyah is playing with me. And, uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's going to be exciting. Although no one could see where you pointed because it's radio. It's oh, I'm the, so sorry. The, the, the bass. <laughs> the, the silent bass player. The silent bass player. Silent bass player. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So where can people find the EP, find the records, uh, put money in your PayPal account? Yeah, well, <laughs> you can buy it every. I mean, you can get it everywhere. You can... If you like, uh, I recommend buying it on Bandcamp because you can get high quality audio files and um, you just go. Shout out to Bandcamp. 
It's, Who doesn't love Bandcamp? I know. It's incredible, actually. And, and they just donated uh, all their sales on Friday to the ACLU. Really? Yeah. I did not even know oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I love me. Only buy it on Bandcamp, please. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even more reason. Um, I would be totally happy to have them take all the proceeds from that and give it to ACLU. And you also have a European tour coming up as well. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm leaving uh, February. I'm going to go play some shows. And I'm playing in Berlin and Paris and um, London. And then, yeah, going back again in May. I'm working on a full-length album now um, with Aaliyah. He's my producer on it. Um, and so he, yeah, it's, it's exciting. We're excited to play shows and get back out there. Last question. Yeah. What advice would you give to people who want to take back more and more control of their musical projects? And what are some of the hardest things that you faced along the way that you got through and that you would just give some advice to newcomers? Um, yeah, just figure out a way to get the money. Like, never don't do something because of money. I feel like there's always a way to get, like, a little chunk of change or pull in a favor. Yeah. And um, you make the money back and, you know, just keep doing it keep informing your fans just believe that like there's people out there that actually care and don't get swept up in the whole thing that if you don't have all this team of people around you paying you tons of attention and showering you with praise that that's the only type of scenario that's going to get you into the you know into the you know public eye or whatever I don't know. I don't really know what advice. I'd have to think about it a little. No, that was good advice. You, <laughs> that was perfect. But you, just basically perfect. do it. Just do it. You'll you'll figure it all out. Everything will happen for you. I mean, the other little side note is that I I like engineered and I produced and I I mixed a lot of news, which um was totally intimidating. But just like you power through it, and then you learn, and then you keep getting better and better. And you know, everybody starts at a certain point. Everybody's an amateur at some point. So just, I like to say that Julia Child at one point didn't know how to make eggs. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then she watched the Jacques Pepin YouTube tutorial. <laughs> yeah. That, exactly. Think, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Um, alternative cooking facts. Well, we want to thank Jameson for coming on. Uh, please make sure to check thank out you. Wine Enthusiast Magazine to the 2017 Best Wine Travel Destinations. Diane, good to see you again. Thank, thank you, you so much. for coming on. Uh, we will be back next week with a brand new all LA based episode of Snacky Tunes. Uh, what are you going to take us out with? I'm going to play a song called Juno, inspired by that epic snowstorm when they shut the city down a few years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for listening. Thank uh, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode of Snacky Tunes. Cool. Thank you. Now
Snacky Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.